one of the places churches fail people is that they don't address the mental, emotional, and social health of their congregants. I mean, particularly in Adventism, we'll be very concerned about physical health. Uh, but what about mental health? What about emotional health? What about how is this not tied into spiritual health? So. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Pass the Baton podcast, passing on what has been passed to us, where we talk about life, ministry, and everything in between. We have a guest here on our podcast today. I am excited to introduce uh, Pastor Vinny uh, McIsaac, uh, and I'm just going to let him tell us a little bit about himself. So, uh, Vinny, tell us about tell us about yourself. Um, I'm Vinny. <laughs> and, and I'm me, and I'm here, and I'm I'm glad to be with you. Uh, I'm a pastor at Solid Rock in Arlington, Virginia. I've been there for about eleven years. Um, my my ministry there is really sort of an interesting one because we took two sort of dying churches and had to figure out what to do about that. And so we have combined them and done something very unique for the kind of churches they were. Um, I am married, uh, for many years cause I'm an old person. <laughs> I actually, um, I'm 52. I've in, in pastoral ministry is a second career for me. My first career was mental health and a mental health counselor. Um, I have a nine year old child who is adopted, who is the joy of our lives and is very angry at me for being away at camp meeting. <laughs> and so I'm looking forward to getting on the road tomorrow and getting back home. So you mentioned that you didn't start off being a pastor and that you started off doing mental health or social work, I believe you had yep. shared before. Um, why? <laughs> why which how do you transition from one? <laughs> from mental health to a field that can cause us mental health like pastoring well yeah so so what i always say is i didn't change professions okay <laughs> i just changed where i where i do it like what what really is the difference between mental health and spiritual health mm. Right. They're, yeah. they're really it's really not different. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a, a matter of the vocation. And I really believe that one of the places churches fail people yeah. is that they don't address the mental, emotional and social health of their congregants. I mean, particularly in Adventism, we'll be very concerned about physical health. Uh, but what about mental health? What about emotional health? What about how is this not tied into spiritual health? So uh, for me, actually, um, I, I'm Canadian. Um, and so uh, my wife is a nurse or was a nurse. There's quite a story there, actually. Um, and so we came to the United States for 15 months for her to get some nursing experience in a in different hospital setting. And um, we haven't returned yet. <laughs> that, that, that it's, a long 15 months huh? yeah it's well it's over 15 years now uh i, I was like in the 90s man uh, i'm I, like i said i'm old um but i started church planning while we were waiting for green card stuff to happen yeah. 
um, and uh, just had a great time doing that and ended up going to Southern and, you know, uh, getting my theology degree, got picked up by Potomac Conference, and, uh, you know, the rest is history, so to say. Um, yeah, I don't know where you want to go from that. Yeah, no, I actually want to explore that with you because mm -hmm. I recently got uh, my master's in biblical counseling, and I realized just how, like you mentioned, how much there is a need for mental health counseling and for just just even talking about it within our churches. So I'm curious with that background that you bring into pastoral ministry, how how do you navigate those challenges? Or rather, how do you pastor differently having that prior experience in mental health? Yeah, I I really struggle to understand how anyone pastors without it. Yeah. You, you, you know, because you're dealing with people who are dying. You're dealing with people who are having tragedies in their life. You're dealing with people who are having miscarriages. You're dealing with, with people who are facing all kinds of life transitions, be it entering into retirement or be it, you know, entering into marriage. Like, I worry about even maybe some kinds of marriage counseling that goes on. Like, and I, I wonder if the average pastor even understands the difference mm. between what pastoral coaching counseling is and what therapeutic counseling coaching is and if they know where that safe line is that that keeps me awake at night that mm -hmm. that that worries me that people who don't have the, those skills don't know where that line is mm -hmm. you know i have some of those skills and i don't cross that line right. i refer out yeah. When it gets close to that line, even though I have that background, yeah. because there needs to be that safety. There needs to be that barrier, mm -hmm. um, because otherwise you can really do damage. And I also really am convicted that there is an artificial line from the other side, the, per, per, the, the, the church member's side, mm -hmm. because like they don't necessarily want their pastor to know the truth about everything in their lives, sure. mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And is yeah. it even healthy for yeah. their... For some pastors, it's probably not healthy mm. to know, right? So I think there are some lines that need to... I, I really wish that larger churches and you know supporting organizations had on staff mental health people. Um, so at least pastors would have that resource that connection you know yeah. um so yeah i feel pretty strongly convicted about that um you know and even what about the what about the mental health of pastors yeah um, yeah you know um my life and my ministry uh have went through major crises uh during my pastorate um and i was very fortunate and blessed to have supportive people and a supportive mm. leadership around me. Um, but does, you know, what, what about pastors who don't, you know, and mm. how are they going to then guide other people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've gone through my own mental health struggles and fortunate enough here in our conference, um, there's been support for that. When I went and addressed that, they, they actually 
referred me to a, a therapist and covered the cost of the therapist for two years. Yeah. And that was something that was huge because I wouldn't have been able to afford it myself. Uh, it's not necessarily, I don't think something that's covered even under our insurance or anything like that. And so that was helpful for me, but the tools that I have to help with that were not tools that I was trained as a pastor. It was tools that I received as a patient myself right. going through and learning how to process, process right. my own things. Right. Um, but I, I, I love that that this is a focus of yours. I would like to say, how how do we as a church get away from the stigma around mm-hmm. mental yeah. health with our members? Because I, I'm, I'm open about my struggles. You know, I, I often joke with a lot of my members that, you know, um, I need Jesus and a therapist, too. So it's there's there's the spiritual that connects with the 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 mental the mental health aspects, because, you know, it's not just, well, you didn't pray enough, which is what I've been told. And I've even been told by leaders like, well, you don't talk about that kind of stuff. Or if you're really, truly spiritual, you won't struggle yeah. with these type of things. How do we get past that stigma? Or how have you navigated that stigma in your own ministry, I guess? Right, right. So how willing are you to live, willing to live incarnationally with your members? Mm-hmm. You see, this is a big value of mine. My, my current church has been through, like my wife got very sick during my pastorate where I am. Uh, she has Moya Moya disease. Uh, which created, uh, at age 39, her cardiac artery just shut down instantly without warning. And she went through stroke after stroke after stroke and almost died and would have died uh, had it not been just for miracle chance of a neurologist who had seen Moya Moya. Moya Moya is a very rare Mm. disease. Mm. Um, and, And so I invited my congregants into my life. I let them into, they, they walked through my life with me. I mean, um, some of the nurses and doctors in my congregation were the ones that advised me in, in, in that crisis. I, I understand the need to keep a distance and to keep a protection, but also not to live a dual life that my congregation is not aware of, mm. you know, you know. So I want them. How how do how do people preach if they're not preaching of their own experience, or, or why would they, anyways? Uh, there would be no power in that, right? So my life is not perfect. <laughs> my family is not perfect. Really? <laughs> I know it. I'm so I'm so deceptive, right? <laughs> but but. But I'm pretty transparent, you know, and, and I, I'm pretty honest about who I am and, and my people know who I am. And I think that allows them the freedom to also be who they are. And I celebrate if someone comes to me and says, um, and this has happened, you know, recently comes to me and says, where do I find a therapist? How do I find a quality therapist? You know, where do I look? Mm-hmm. Like when a member comes, it would trust me to, to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and to know that and, and, you know, is not afraid to talk about that with me. That, mm-hmm. That's a celebration for me because I think it just means that I've lived in a way that I've been honest enough about where I'm at. And, yeah. and, <laughs> and sometimes I'll be like, this is the person you need to see. This is what I saw, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, but I'm pretty sure you've received some pushback when you're too authentic or when you do yes. talk about mental health. Uh, talk to us about how you, I mean, how you dealt with those kind of conversations because Tom, myself, I mean, 
as pastors, I mean, we, he's been very authentic about his journey experience. And we talked with Richie Halverson before about how, you know, being authentic, sharing our struggles, sharing our stories, a lot of our members, unfortunately, aren't ready for that kind of uh, honesty. So how do you how do you deal with that, with the pushback that event inevitably comes when you're too authentic, I suppose, or just being authentic? Well, you know, I, I think that there are some healthy lines you put in place. I mean, I can talk about brokenness without telling you what my brokenness is. You know, I can talk about, you know, despair without telling you what my despair is, you know. Um, but on the other side of it, I mean, I think maybe the longevity of my, like I've been with my church for 11 years. They've seen for better or worse, <laughs> me and HD for 11 years, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, you know, and I also think when you're willing to really live with your people, again, it goes back to being sort of incarnational. When, when, when you're there in their crisis, they're going to be there in your crisis. Um, and, and I think you got to live out of that. You, you got to win that over. I... I don't get a lot of pushback. Hmm. Um, I, and maybe it's because I've been there so long and maybe it's because we've been through so much together. Um, but I don't want to believe that's the case. Hmm. I want to believe that too bad if people don't like it. Like, 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 if I go to another church tomorrow, like, I, I don't plan to be any different than I am today. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay, I'm not your guy. You're not going to connect with me. That's good. There's going to always be those people anyways, right? Yeah, and that's okay. Th that is okay. Yeah. I, I, look, how are you going to teach your congregation to be healthy about these things if you're not going to be? Right. So there, there are people who don't like parts of me. I don't like parts of them either. <laughs> like, so what? We, we're still yeah. going to be, be in this church. We're still right. going to eat potluck together. I'm right. still going to come and visit you. You're, <laughs> you know, you're, my kid's still going to run up and down the ha hall and you're going to still get angry. It's <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. like, I'm not going to hate you because you don't like something about me, you know? Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't really worry about negative pushback that way because I just think that you make that all up. It's the second someone's life goes into crisis and you're, and you're willing to, as much as you wanted people to do that for you, you're willing to do that for them. Yeah. It's the equalizer. I mean, I have people who gave up on me, abandoned me, uh, left the church for a while because they didn't like me, but, but I don't... The second they call me, they got a problem. I'm, I'm, I am who I am, mm. right? And and then like the great one. This is one of the greatest joys I've had in the last few years, is people who really didn't like me for something I did early in ministry become my biggest supporters later on in ministry. Wow. And 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 I and I love that to be the case. Like so, when we merged the two churches together, as I was saying, we started off with two very struggling churches and merged them into a a more contemporary, larger church. Uh, there are some people who are really hurt by that. Like, like, oh, like yeah. you're going to sell the building where I got baptized, <laughs> you know, like, and now I'm getting ready to you tear the baptistry the out of the, the, yeah, yeah. And now I'm getting ready to tear the baptistry of the other church and redo, remodel, right? They're like, right. you're going to take away the, you know, the, the you know, you, you know, some of those people are just like, you know, like they, 
they got so angry at me. I mean, they, they had people from other conferences calling my conference to complain about me. Like, what? who cares? I mean, like, I cared at the time, but yeah. in, the, in the end, I'm just going to keep trying to be as healthy as I can be. You know, terribly stressful situation. But those people love me now. <laughs> like they, they, they abandon. They're like, we're never going to come to this church. We hate this church. We hate what you're doing. Okay, like sooner or later, you're going to have a problem in your life and you're going to reach out to me and I'm going to reach back to you. And, you, you know, like what comes around goes around and not always in a negative way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes time, time and situations can change that. I remember one of the churches I've pastored in the past, um, um, it got to the point where it was incredibly stressful for me. Like I, I wasn't processing mm -hmm. things very well. I was just starting to become open about my own personal struggles that I've been fighting with for years. I, I had just opened up to my wife about my depression because mm. I've been, I've been hiding it for, from her for the mm. first like seven or eight years of our marriage. Mm. And I, I, and I, and I hid behind migraines cause I've got a really bad mm. history of migraines, but sometimes I'd say I have a migraine when I, mm. when I was just really depressed cause I didn't want to, I didn't right. want to deal with that. That was, that was the double life that I was living. And I, it took me years to even open up to my wife about that. Um, and there was some real like, oh, wait, this guy shouldn't even be, shouldn't even be our pastor. And at, at one point, um, I just, I, I, I'd had enough. And I asked the conference, I said, listen, I can't, I can't continue to pastor here. And I called my ministerial and said, I would rather deliver pizzas than continue in this mm. environment because it's, it's not healthy for me. And it's not healthy for the church because the resentment I'm starting to have toward the church. So there needs to be a, somebody else that can come in here to guide. Because I, I felt like I'd done a lot, but I had people have been sweeping things under the rugs for years. And everybody's like, we're such a happy, we're such a loving church. And I opened the rug and started getting the things out that had been cleaned to actually do some deep cleaning. And that caused a lot of hurt. Well, it resurfaced hurt that was already there. I didn't cause hurt. And sure. um, at, at the very end, when we announced that we were going to be moving and we we're going to go to another ones, one of the ones that fought, fought me the hardest one of the ones that where I'm talking about every week I would come and there'd be a different letter on my desk from Ellen White. Didn't know Ellen White was still writing letters, but there was different letters on my, on my desk from Ellen White um, or, or, or whatever that was saying, listing on all these things. And, you know, I just came up and I was just open about it. You know, I sit there and I talked about, and I talked about, I mean, it was one of those times where it's like, I took off my coat, I came down out of the pulpit and I sat down in front and said, hey, we're going to have a frank conversation about what's going on. Uh, and came up to me later and sat there and said, listen, I, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. And of course, I didn't change. I still ended up leaving. But there's a breakthrough when that detractor becomes, even acknowledges what they were doing. And it was something that was very therapeutic to me. And it, and it helped me heal some of the wounds that I had, I had, that I had received and also some of the wounds that I, I probably received because of my own stubbornness. And, you know, I'm not the one who said that church was full of problems. I caused some of those problems in the way that I handled them because I'm not an overly patient person. I'm not an overly cuddly person. I don't know how else to say that. You know, I, I've got a military background. Yeah. I pretty much say what's on my mind. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't grow up in the church, so I stepped on a lot of sacred tofus oh that I wasn't supposed to step on that I didn't even know that existed. Mm -hmm. And um, there's things that I could have done better. Um, there's things I can still do better now, <laughs> Sure, but it was somebody coming to me and saying, sorry, that was incredibly therapeutic for me. And it wasn't, it was, 
I don't want to say it was the beginning of me starting to let some stuff go because it would be it would be two years in a hospitalization later before I really started addressing my own brokenness. Um, and it, again, it, it wasn't until I was fully institutionalized. I was I was in a mental health hospital for nearly a week that I really started to seek the help that I needed. But it's also where I learned some of the more boundaries, too, because when I in process, the order that in process me that's found out that I was a pastor, it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to do great here. You're, I mean, you're going to be able to help out everybody that's here. And it's like, uh, <laughs> that's not why I'm here. Yeah, it's like I'm, I'm here. I'm not here yeah. to I'm not here to help them. I'm here yeah. to get the help that I needed. And um, but yeah, it's I, I love that we're being more open about that in the church. I mean, again, I still struggle with where's the boundaries of how much to share. I mean, I'm not going to stand up and say, well, this week I have sinned. Here's my list of sins. I'm not going to go up there and say that. I mean, I like what you say with the just saying, well, I'm struggling with I'm struggling in this area without going into the details. So, hey, anyway, I resonate. A yeah, lot with no, that. no, I and, and I think also I would say I'm in an urban setting. And. You're very much not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm in an urban progressive setting. The congregation is progressive leaning, uh, probably politically, although we don't talk about it, but they probably are uh, just based on where they live. Um, and theologically, they are. And uh, worship wise, definitely contemporary. So it's there. I think some of those factors do play. But I also think that like longevity matters yeah right um and i also tend to lead out of like this is just kind of my style i, I lead out of having some people super close to me where there's complete transparency and then it resonates out from their circle to their circle to their circle mm -hmm. and and so so it sort of dissipates throughout the congregation um but you know, during the pandemic, I was just like, I can see other people are having like serious anxiety problems. So I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to be like, I am too. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to say to my core people and I'm going to say in a sermon, I'm going to say, yeah, sometimes I come to work and I sit down in my office and I look at my screen and nothing happens. Flashing. <laughs> <laughs> Flashing light on that sermon document, right? Just constantly, just that little flashing cursor. You don't even hit delete. You don't even type anything and hit delete. It just keeps flashing. But, but but if you do that, at times that you know it's happening in other people's lives, you, so I'm not going to wait and just like, it's not a random thing. It's that I see what is happening in other people's lives and I'm, seeking to reflect that back then how are they going to condemn me for what they're also feeling like we're going to start resonating together right um and i try to be proactive with that you know and i try to warn people too like i i started telling people at the beginning of the year i'm tired you know i i, I didn't i i didn't stand up front on sabbath morning and say i'm tired yeah. But I started telling my elders, I'm tired. Uh, you, you need to find someone who, who I can mentor in preaching because I'm tired and I'm not going to bring a sermon every single week. You know, um, 
I'm in school. You know that. You're some of you are in school. I know that. But I, I'm going to tell my core people before we get to crisis where I'm at. I'm going to be giving them warnings, and because I, I want them to do the same back for me, right? So I have to be a little bit proactive, and and again, I think the setting helps, the longevity helps, the fact that. Some of these people were by the bedside of my wife helps. And I've been, you know, by their bedside, right? That helps. But I, I also just think that sometimes we're not, we're not leading transparency. Um, and, and again, is a chicken and egg, right? Is it we don't lead because it's not safe to lead it? Or is it not safe to lead it because we don't lead it? Right, I I don't know which it is, and it it might be different in different places. Um, but I just know that um, if Jesus puts me someplace, then someone else has to take me out. <laughs> <laughs> and right, so then. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. If it's going to be like some scrambled eggs, it's going to be like some scrambled <laughs> eggs. <laughs> I have like eggs in my head. Yes. But, uh, you know, something that Tom had, had pointed out, um, that he struggled to be, you know, to even admit to his own wife that he had mental health issues. And I know that the people that are listening to our podcast, there's pastors, there's people within our churches or may not even have uh, a religious background, but um, how do we... I mean, from from your standpoint as a, a mental health formerly clinician and now as a pastor, what are some practical steps that we could take uh, to to be uh, more aware of our mental health and uh, I, I guess uh, be more not just aware but be able to address those issues? I think everybody, pastor or person needs to have a therapist like you have a general practitioner. You, 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 you don't need to go, but you need to have one. Okay? Like, so I didn't see my general practitioner for two years because it was a pandemic and we're in an urban setting and he's like, I'll just televisit with you. Right? right? Uh, so I went and I saw him a couple weeks ago in person for the first time since the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And immediately he knows stuff about me because we have a long-term relationship. Right. If you wait until crisis to get a therapist, you're done. You're, you're, really, you're really making a mistake. You need, to, you need to establish a relationship with a therapist before you're ever in crisis. They need to see the baseline. They need to see who Vinny is when he's normal, so they know when he's not. Like what, my when I go in and see my doctor, he's like, "Hey, you're thirty pounds up. I don't even need to put you on the scale." <laughs> right? Like, like I want, I want whoever's taking care of my mental health yeah. to be able to do that too. You also need a friend, a friend that you can be candid with, who is not a therapist. You know, um, and and I have some great friends like that. Uh, that I can be candid with, and they can be candid with me, and and I think those are pro two proactive things you have to do, no matter who you are. 
um yeah you you really need to establish therapist relate I, I mean i don't care who you are i don't care if you work at, at an amazon factory warehouse i mean everyone's plan if you have medical coverage will cover something uh i'm blessed my conference actually um vets therapists and gives out uh, anonymous counseling certificates that are prepaid so that it does there's no back office paperwork that goes back to you um and so i always maintain and i always tell my pastors that i work with to maintain one of those people they'll be oh, i don't got any problems with yeah well, okay still go see someone <laughs> like i i don't have cancer either but i still go see my doctor <laughs> you know um I, I don't know if people know about Celebrate Recovery, uh, but I think, those, like, I don't, like, I, I think to know where those groups are in your community is really helpful. I've tried to establish one in my local congregation, but we just never been able to get to it. There's, there's just so much behind it. But, um, but to know where those are in your community or other uh, support groups, uh, be it domestic issues or substance abuse issues um I, I think it's part of being a healthy pastor just to know about where those things are you know uh and yeah knowing the resources so yeah. are there openings in your conference <laughs> <laughs> we are always sure looking just, just no, i just think that it's great that your conference is proactive in terms of the mental health of their of their staff their pastors um kentucky tennessee take note uh <laughs> yeah, I think that's really great to have that kind of support system. So psychologytoday.com, okay? You can go on there and you can put whatever your issues are. They, it's like they got a beautiful filtering system. If your your issues are marital problems or addictions or attention deficit, I have attention deficit, you can check that. You can put your voice psychologist or a licensed counselor. And then you can put in your um, insurance plan. And our insurance plan there. And then you just hit the search feature. All the therapists in your area that deal with what you want to deal with, that your plan covers, will come up. You know, I actually yes. didn't know that. I, I didn't I know, did know I learned something. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. I'm learning a lot in here today. I'm learning so a lot. I'm like, saying, I'm yeah. Just, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of want to pivot here a little bit. Um, but you, you're also known as the internet pastor and <laughs> okay. i'm so curious why are you known as the internet pastor <laughs> I, I don't know who i am but <laughs> because i'm on the internet <laughs> i'm like what does that mean like i yeah you, you know for me the internet has been about survival you know like so i was bringing these two really struggling unknown churches together and Every, I just had to figure, this is just how I work, good or bad, is, again, if Jesus puts me someplace, we're going to keep breaking eggs <laughs> until it works. Uh, oh. Egg metaphors. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I need to find something. We're going to keep breaking glasses. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna... I'd rather break eggs and glass. <laughs> okay. We're just going to keep breaking things until it works. I got to yeah. figure out how I'm going to make something work. And mm. I'm really stubborn. And I'm just going to keep figuring out. I'm just going to keep going. 
maybe it's like insecurity. I don't know, but I'm just going to keep trying something till it works because either it's either got to work or Jesus is wrong and or I'm not being faithful. Something's going on here, right? Yeah. Like, right? So I I just started promoting my church through Facebook and through Twitter and it just started like blowing up huge. I don't oh, wow. You know, we we do have some really good musicians in our church, and we do do very contemporary music, and um, it just started blowing up, and we just by the thousands, we just started attracting people. And before the pandemic's a little bit different in DC area; it's still pretty crazy with the pandemic. Unlike you know, I can sense here it's much different culture, uh, but in DC is yeah, in DC it's still very much like lockdown yeah um yeah it's so nice to see people's faces we, mm -hmm. we don't see that yet in dc wow. <laughs> <laughs> um but but before that like like through through the internet through facebook through twitter through instagram through through podcasting through youtube we, we'd see 20 new people a week just they they would just watch us online and they would just start coming out to the church and uh, my, my church is like because I've been there a while and there's trust, you know, so they give me a budget and, you know, we started out with like 12 bucks a week or something. But, you know, I think we, before the pandemic, we were averaging probably about $2,500 a year in um, online promotions um, to, to, to draw people into the church. And it well paid off. I mean, like one, one week we got a, the last week of the year, we were behind in our tithe, and a random check came in from somebody that we didn't know ten thousand dollars. Wow. Um, it, we don't know most of our donors. <laughs> I mean, he watches online, whatever, right? Yes. <laughs> well, so. it, it, there's some strategy. Mm -hmm. So, my AV team is a really talented group of people. I'm really thankful for them. Um, and you know, as soon as our live broadcast is over they flip it around and send it back out so that we hit the california time zone and 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 people start picking us up on the west coast they think we're we're live we just sent someone in to say happy yeah. sabbath and online whatever right like yeah. so i don't know how that happened it just happened wow that's really awesome it's about survival though yeah <laughs> yeah. We definitely were on survival mode the last two years for sure. Yeah. Um, I did have one last question for you before. I know we got to quit, but um, you you mentioned that you're working on your PhD. Uh, a demon. A demon, excuse me. Yeah. And uh, it's in transient leadership. Adaptive, Adaptive leadership. Adaptive leadership. Yeah. And I was very curious as to, first of all, what does that mean, adaptive leadership? And uh, what are your goals uh, in terms of, like, of getting this degree? Because it's fascinating to me. Yeah, so Todd, Todd Bolslinger, who wrote Canoeing the Mountains, uh -huh. uh, he's sort of the, the sort of leadership guru at the moment, uh, Presbyterian. Um, he is my uh, academic professor running the DMIN program at Fuller, where I'm taking it. And, and the whole idea is, it's just so jives with who I am and everything I've said here. Yeah. It's like, things are broken. Jesus doesn't want them broken. <laughs> Nobody knows how to fix them. Right. So let's just jump in and see what we can do. And, and, and that's the difference between uh, what's called a technical change and an adaptive change. 
in a technical change, there are experts who know how to do it. And you just have to call the right expert to figure out how are you going to do this thing you want to do. But in an adaptive change, no one's done it. There is no expert. And that's what doctors did. <laughs> uh, trying to figure out how to do something nobody's ever done before. So that sounds like ministry, that period. That sounds like every day. But, 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 yeah. but that's what Todd's book is about, yeah. like Canoeing the Mountains. It's a, the Lewis and Clark story uh, about traveling west. And, and they thought they were going to canoe the whole way to the west coast and they hit the Rockies. Mm. So what do you do when you got a canoe and you got the Rockies? You're going to, you got to, it doesn't work. Like yeah. you can figure out how to get around if there's a, but if there's not a river, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right. So that's the whole idea, right? Yeah. The whole idea is it's is what I did with two small churches that were failing. Um, is what I did with the internet. It's what I did with my life. <laughs> still, my life is still an adaptive change <laughs> in progress, right? Yeah. It's like, what do you do with broken things that don't work and no one has the fix for them? That's, that's what it's about. Well, that sounds amazing. And I'm definitely looking forward to your doctoral dissertation. Yes. yes <laughs> all 500,000 pages of it. <laughs> you want to edit? Because <laughs> I can get you a preview. Come on, give it to him. Yes, because I don't have any time. I, I have the time on my hands, so. No, but thank you, Vinny. I really appreciate you coming yes. on our podcast. I, I just loved, I just love picking your brain and certainly hope to have you not back on our podcast in the future. But um, whenever we end our podcast, we always let our guests shout out, you know, their particular ministries, their their Instagram, their Twitter, whatever. Uh, so if there's their podcast. Your, your podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll put them in the comments. Uh, so let us know. Yeah, so. Um... I'm not going to shout out much. I'm just going to say uh, I do have a podcast, um, and my podcast is aimed at elevating the, the average level of theology you would find in your average sermon in the pew to a little bit higher, just a little bit on the academic side, but meant for people in the pew who are interested in growing past the average sermon. And I do that with Jonathan Martin out of Florida Conference, um, and it's called Simply Devotion. This season, we've been looking at the historical Jesus and what is the data for the historical Jesus. Uh, been a lot of great stuff there. My website's just simplyvinny.com. And I mean, you can just put my name in Google. They know who I am. Because <laughs> you're the internet pastor. Yeah, the internet pastor. You are on the internet as a pastor. Yeah, the Google does, does that. So, Well, thanks again. Um, we like to end our podcast uh, with a prayer. So if you could pray for, for us, pray for our audience that are listening. So. Absolutely. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this podcast. I, I didn't know about it before I came here this week. I'm just so excited to hear people who are interested in what I would call an adaptive change. Uh, finding a way to help ministry work better, leaders to work better, to encourage pastors, to encourage congregants. And Father, I would just pray that um, you would be in the center of everything that's happening here. That you would bless these two young men, that you would inspire their ministry, um, and that whoever listens to this today will go, ahead, go away um, knowing that even if life isn't perfect, that's just an opportunity for Jesus to do something different. 
In Jesus' name, amen.